everybody, welcome to This Good Word, episode 16. The word today is infertility. And this is the fifth part of the beginning series, and normally I would be titling this Seasons, because that's the chapter of the book that I'll be covering this week, day four, Seasons. But I have a very special guest with me that I am so thrilled. I've been dreaming about having this guest with me for ever since I started the podcast. Her name is Mary Martin Weens. Can you say hello, Mary? <laughs> Hi, friends. It's my wife, obviously, and I love her so much. And I'm going to ask her a bunch of questions about what it's like to go through the season of infertility. I did write about this in my book, and so you can read about it in beginnings. And it's going to be very, uh, I, I just think it's going to be a very helpful conversation today to anyone who is going through infertility or has a friend that's going through infertility because we found it to be a very lonely club that you don't want to be a part of and that you want to get out of as soon as you can. And there's a whole lot of misunderstandings about it. So we're going to talk about the seasons of life, waiting, hope, abundance, and loss. That's what I write about in the book today, specifically the pain of infertility. So many people that uh, we talk to over and over again feel alone desperate and very defective. We had seven years of infertility, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about our journey, and mo mostly Mary's going to talk. I'm sure I'll throw in a few things because I can't not. Ah. Okay, uh, before we get into that, though, some shout-outs. Huge congratulations to Janet Dietz from West Lafayette, Indiana. Uh, she won the book uh, giveaway last week. Janet and her friend are starting a book club in West Lafayette uh. in January. So she was like, <laughs> I would feel a little more comfortable if I at least had the book for a little bit ahead of time. So Janet, you win. Though it was very hard this week. I got so many great um, emails from people uh, saying why you needed beginnings. I really wish I could give you all of them. I hope you can order the book. Right now it's $11 on Amazon if you pre-order it, so do that. There's also an audiobook. Do that if you're more of an audiobook person. So uh, you can find a link to that on my show notes, steveweens.com. And so get on the show notes, link to the book beginnings, order it. And I'm giving away another free book this week. So all you need to do is email me at steve at steveweens.com. Tell me why you need the book now. Uh, it can be a funny reason. It can be a serious reason. Uh, in fact, someone already emailed me this week about how hard it is to be a Vikings fan. I'm going to tell you that tugged at my heartstrings big time. So uh, could be serious, could be funny. It was, it, was, it was a tough week for the Minnesota faithful this week, gang. Uh, all right. So that's the giveaway. That's the beginnings. Uh, and we are, without any further ado, going to get into... Oh, some wait, wait a minute. Some shout outs to new listeners. We always do this. Qatar, Venezuela, and Estonia. Wow. It's pretty crazy. All over the world, people. But we still don't have Wyoming. <laughs> Wyoming, get it together. You're obsessed. <laughs> I am obsessed. Get it together. Okay. Maybe I need to get it together. All right. Are we ready to dive in, babe? Yep. Okay, so uh, Mary, uh, as we talked, we wanted to, uh, you wanted to do some setup comments. There's some things you just want to acknowledge heading into the conversation. Right. So um, as we began to dream about what we might say, I became um, very aware of how, although I do remember that season of our life, it was a long time ago now. So that was nine years ago. Uh, and I also know that our journey... Uh, included having babies and not everyone's journey with infertility does and so I just want to put that up front and say I know that I know that even limits um, how helpful the story can be to some um, but also I, I just I, I really just want to be sensitive and if I say something that dings you a little bit just go oh she doesn't fully remember and try and move on. Uh, it's, yeah, I, I, I might, or I might forget stuff. That's so you to be so sensitive. I love that. Uh, thank you for that, Mary. Mary, I keep calling you Mary. I never call you Mary. It's so awkward. <laughs> you can call me babe. I might call you babe or sweetie. Okay. <laughs> uh, so first question, we are in the Christmas season as we're recording now. Not sure when you all are listening to it, but as we're recording, it's Christmas season. 
What is it like to be infertile during the Christmas season? I remember this being one of the hardest times. Actually, at two two particular memories. One, at both are during church services, actually. One, I remember being at a church service, and we were in the throes of this process of aching and trying to have babies and not having. And uh, I remember there was a song, and then there were all these images on a screen of babies and babies' feet and babies' toes and babies' hands and women holding babies and men holding babies and all of this sort of, you know, uh, you get why you would go there because Jesus and the manger and baby and all of that, but it was searing. And I remember another Christmas, uh, we, uh, I don't know if it was the same year. Anyway, um, I just remember looking out over the congregation in church and seeing all these little kids. It must have been before or after the service because people were kind of moving about. And I remember them all in their little Christmas dresses and their little Christmas ties and their outfits. And uh, yeah, gosh, it hurt. It ached. And so, yeah, there just are so many traditions, I think, around Christmas, the giving of gifts and the tree and uh, when you have imagined having a family and sharing that with, with kids to not have that, or then to be with family and um, sisters or friends or whoever, they have ba- kids, babies, whatever. Um, that's hard. It's a time that really highlights it. I think that's such a great picture, honey, into what infertility is like. There's all these unforeseen layers mm-hmm. of things mm-hmm. that are triggers, right? That people that haven't gone through infertility they wouldn't think that they would be triggers like right. christmas eve services when there's a picture of the baby jesus on this and people even carrying babies into church mm-hmm. um people that haven't gone through infertility don't think and why would they but they don't think that those are triggers so i think right. that's that's a huge um thank you for bringing that up um so give us a picture of what infertility feels like emotionally hmm. Okay, so um, oh, the sensitivity is so heightened. I, that's the first word that comes to mind. I think I have lots of other words too, but um, there's just such an ache, or there was for me. And, um, you know, okay, I hope this image doesn't diminish it in some way, but you know when you break a toe and that first night, the way the sheet of your bed yeah. is like excruciating just the touch of this light little bed sheet and it's like that like your whole being is sensitive in that way it's just sort of aching and throbbing with pain and I remember um, feeling a, an emptiness and a loneliness and a barrenness and it was very desert like and dry like um, excuse me <coughs> I have a little cold so I may have to Cough away. Cough. Um, And crazy making, really. I mean, part of that is just the emotional process of fertility, the up and the down and the not knowing and the waiting and the uncertainty. It just is, it's really stressful and it feels insane. Like I felt insane sometimes. Definitely. And I think part of our journey, because it lasted so long, it was seven Mm -hmm. years of infertility, it included uh, many of our friends getting pregnant and having their first babies. Yes. And so talk about what it's like to have a friend, even your best friend, sort of awkwardly tell you that they're pregnant and they know that you're sensitive about it, but they're going to tell you anyway and they don't know how to tell you and they don't know how you're going to react. How do you do all of that? How do you react? How do you be excited for them? How do you be sad for you? How do you do that? <laughs> I don't know if I have a good answer about how. Um, or how did you do that? Well, I tried hard. I don't know how well I, I did it. <laughs> Listen did to what I did, but maybe do not do what I did. Uh, but part of it is uh, you're not going to go through this. I want to say this. Yeah. You're not going to go through infertility with all the grace that you want to. True. You're going to lose it. Yep. You're going to respond I think, mm-hmm. uh, in ways that kind of surprise you, shock you, make you embarrassed, and that is okay. Yes. Yes. Thank you for saying that. 
Okay, so uh, people getting pregnant all around me was one of the hardest things. It was really hard. I would I would feel so mad. And then I would be mad at myself for being mad. Um, and I would know I was supposed to be excited. Um, and I would know that it's possible for a human being to feel more than one emotion at the same time. I can be happy for you and sad for me. And it kind of became this mantra. I can be happy for them, but sad for me. Um, but it was hard, really, really hard to actually execute. Um, and you can't make yourself feel what you don't feel. Right. You know, you just, you can't, you feel what you feel. Um, and so, yeah, learning. And then I would feel bad because my friends uh, um, and family members who would get pregnant, I could tell that they felt so bad and they were so nervous to tell us. Um, and, you know, they would do all kinds of talking about other things and leading up to it. And, you know, then they would ask, how can we make this easier for you? I mean, people were really so sweet to us, but there just was um, no way to make it easy. That is so true. And I remember, so lots of times we would have conversations. So we would hear, um, like someone would tell us, and it was, it was family members. It was dear friends. Mm -hmm. They would tell us and we would have, we would kind of squeeze each other's hand sort of imperceptibly and we would be happy and we would Mm -hmm. be happy, but we would go home and cry our eyes out. And, and I think permission to go home and cry your eyes out and you're gonna need extra space and time Mm -hmm. and transitions between things Mm -hmm. so that um you can go cry your eyes out and then Mm -hmm. collect yourself because you do have to be out in the real world Mm -hmm. and you can't be crying the whole time i mean you can be but Mm -hmm. (laughs) but i but i I remember you saying this funny thing like people would ask you like are you mad at god because you don't have a baby and then you said this really funny thing that I, it's, well, it's, it's not funny in the sense of, I mean, it was really hard, but it's funny now. What was it that you said? <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll talk about that. But then I want to get back to something else too about yeah. what, I actually remembered some things that did help me. Oh yeah. Good. Um, with uh, friends getting pregnant and, and whatnot. So yeah, I remember a dear friend asking me, are you mad at God? And just really wanted to kind of give me permission to say, yes, I'm so, I'm just so mad at God. Um. And what came out of my mouth was, no, not mad at God, mad at pregnant women. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love just the honesty of that, right? And you can be mad at God, too. That's fine. But to to be mad at pregnant women is something. Anyway, okay. I was just random pregnant women walking down the street. Yes, I was mad at them. They don't deserve it. I'm sure they don't deserve it. We didn't even know them. We didn't know their story, but they certainly didn't deserve to be pregnant if we weren't going to be pregnant. So, okay. So just a note about mad at God. Yes, it's so okay to be mad mad at God. And I think for me, at that point in my journey, I had already been mad at God about a lot of things. And I had come to a point, and this was just where I was at, where, um, God was like a life preserver for me during that time. It was like I needed God too much to be mad at God. Uh, and so I, I didn't. I, I wasn't. And that's just where I, I was at. That actually became something that I could cling to. But um, some of the things that helped me with the whole friends getting pregnant, actually even that that God piece for some boundaries. And one um before we move on from the mad at God piece, one thing that I needed to do was set a boundary around the idea that God is a baby giver or a baby taker. Mm. Um, I know that idea is out there and I, um, I just could not allow that to be part of my thinking about God at that time. Maybe there are seeds of truth in that. Who knows? Um, but at that time I knew I could not even consider that that is God, who God was. And so I just put this boundary. And I think that's okay. I think God understands what we can, what we have the capacity for. And I did not have the capacity to think of God that way. Um, And it actually helped me preserve my relationship with God by just setting that to the side and going, you know what, one day I might pick that idea back up and throw it around and um, see if it has some legs for me. But right now it doesn't, it hurts. And so I put it to the side. So there may be some ideas about God. You just need to like put a hard line, set that over to the side and say, not now. Yeah. I'm, I'm nodding my head. I'm, I'm amening that big time. So what were some things that helped you regarding your friends getting pregnant and stuff like that. So um, I had to set some boundaries around that too. So eventually I actually got to a place where I stopped going to all baby showers. Yeah. 
Do you I remember, remember that? that? I totally do. Yep. And my friends, this was at the point where people really knew that we were struggling with infertility. There were years where we didn't tell, like it was important to us to keep it a secret. But um, then there was another phase where it was important to us for people to know. And so during that phase, when people already knew, I just said, I can't, I'm so sorry. It's too hard for me to, people pass the presents around and, you know, hold up the dresses and the little, you know, onesies and ooh and ah and wow, I have a thing about clothes. (laughs) 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 And the bottles, whatever. Um, And I just, and the little games and the measuring the belly, all of that. Yeah, oh, I just, I couldn't do it. And so I did have to have a couple of hard conversations with friends and just say, I love you. I'm going to buy you a present even. I'd love to give it to you, but I'm not, I can't go. I just, it's too hard for me. And and they understood. So that was one boundary I needed to make. And then, um, Another was that I didn't go to church on Mother's Day. Yep. That just was too much. I couldn't do it. Um, and then another one was that um, actually was with our family, but I think it would apply to friends as well. There was a period of time where um, your two sisters were pregnant and I wasn't. And, um, oh, your family's so sensitive and so kind. And they wanted to just include everything and be kind to everyone and so you know we'd be sitting around food or whatever and uh, people would be asking how's your pregnancy going how's your pregnancy going and then the people would turn to us and go and how are you (laughs) and how how are are you you? and it was all I mean you have such a dear family and it was really out of love and care for us and, and wanting to make sure that we were okay in that conversation but I remember we came to a point where we said you know what it actually is really hard for us to talk about pregnant your pregnancies and then to say yeah um and how are you now let's talk about your infertility i said i love that you care about how the infertility is uh, affecting us and how we feel and how your pregnancy is affecting us but can we have that conversation at a different time than the pregnancy conversation let's try and it's like separate those things it's almost like i needed those not to be in a big mishmash i needed them to be in separate piles yeah, and I think so. I'm I'm hearing you make a lot of observations about what's helpful, what's not helpful, and I think there's a way in which it's probably it's probably very helpful at the end of the day for a woman or a man that's going through infertility if you've had a strong reaction to something that someone said or did to sort of note that down in a journal or talk to each other about it. And so that you can get to a point where you're okay Mm -hmm. setting those boundaries and even having a conversation like you just explained. But I think because it can be such a cloud of confusion and hurt feelings that you don't even know what you need. But getting to the point where you kind of knew, no, I need to tell them that I I love that you're asking. I love that you want to include me. But the way we're doing it right now isn't working for me. So can we do it Mm -hmm. differently? Mm -hmm. And I think you can't do that with everybody, but I think you need to get to the point where you can know what you need Mm -hmm. and ask for what you need. And Mm -hmm. it still doesn't make it easy, but at least you're Mm -hmm. not getting your heart trampled on every single time with the people that you love and and who don't want to hurt you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. So uh, Mm -hmm. Uh, we're already into the deep stuff. What advice, <laughs> what advice did you get that was unhelpful and what did you do about it? Like I remember us saying we, we had, we, we made up responses, like preset right, responses. Yeah. So we didn't have to think about it every single time. So like when people said to us, you know, you have to have sex to get pregnant, right? Yeah. And <laughs> by the way, by the way, it's like. No one knows how to deal. I mean, if you're going through infertility, you just need to know no one knows how to deal with you uh, unless they've been through infertility. They, they're they trying their hardest. They don't know what to say. They, they feel awkward. Uh, they're trying their hardest. And they're going to say some incredibly stupid, stupid things. things. Like, you know, you have to have sex to get pregnant. And all that, all that stuff. They're going to awkwardly ask you in the middle of a party how your sex life is going because you're going through infertility. You would never, they they would never, you would never bring that up, but because it is associated with infertility and because they know about it, they're Mm going to bring it up and it feels so awkward. Well, you know, it's like a pregnancy has become so public at a certain point, you know, because a woman's body 
shows that yeah. she's pregnant. And so it's almost like everything connected to that becomes fair game. Yeah. I can comment on your body. Right. I can ask you about your doctor. I can ask you if you're trying this and if you're trying that. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's that's hard. But, I mean, didn't people also sort of say, you know, like everyone comes out of the woodwork and they're – 73-year-old aunt got pregnant after 70 years of infertility <laughs> by drinking kale juice mixed with yes. peanut butter uh, oh, on the full moon. I mean, I that know. people tell you all this kind of stuff. They do. How, how, did you, how did you react to that, respond to that? How did you let that roll off you? Did you let that roll off you? I don't know that I did let it roll off of me. I, um, I tried it all. Yeah. The teas and the diets and the herbs and the acupuncture and the massage. The positions. And the positions. <laughs> <laughs> and the books. And have you tried my doctor? And this doctor helped these people and blah, 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 blah. I mean, I feel like that was part of the journey of infertility was the trying and failing of all the things. Yeah. And um, I actually remember one particular experience where um, it was suggested to me that if I healed a certain conflict ah. um, in my life, that then I would get pregnant. It would sort of clear the air energetically in some way. Um, and I went and tried to heal this conflict, and it was kind of a disaster. And then, of course, I didn't get pregnant. And so I think actually one thing I really wanted to make sure and say today is beware of the, in quotes, magic pill. Yeah. You know, yep. do your journey. Yes, if there's a conflict to clear, if this provides an opportunity for you to um, heal your heart or your body in some way, great, do it. Um, but there are a lot of empty promises out there about what's going to fix this and change this. And because it's a situation where I felt so out of control and I so badly wanted to control it, everything that was going to fix it was so incredibly tempting. And, you know, you've got to try it. If it grabs your mind, grabs your heart, try it. But just, you know, beware. Part of what's hard about this is that you're not in control. Yeah, and so what I, that's so well said. And what I would add is just be okay cutting off conversations, saying, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just not comfortable talking about, it's not a good day for me to talk about infertility right now, but thanks. And people will mostly shut up at that but you yeah. do have to like if you're if you're feeling that that shamey feeling that mm -hmm. awkward pit in your stomach feeling that invaded exposed feeling yes. just just you you have to just stop people and say i'm sorry i know you're trying to be helpful but i'm not i'm just not ready to talk mm -hmm. about it right now that's all you have to say yeah. that doesn't solve it for you but you don't it's not you don't have to sit there and listen to people's mm -hmm quote-unquote helpful advice it they are trying to be helpful they honestly are mm -hmm. but you get to decide what's helpful help or not yeah and you get to shut people off <laughs> yeah and you get to i remember i got an email from someone once and they were like this 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 and i just i mean kindly but i firmly shut it down um because they were giving advice that was not helpful mm -hmm. all right so let's let's talk about um with infertility, there's often doctor's appointments. There's certainly times of the month to get pregnant. There's, uh, depending on where you're at in the journey, there's multiple doctor visits a month. How did you, we, plan our lives? Um, because the temptation is to not do anything because, well, I, yeah. we got to be in town. We have to try this date. We have to, and the temptation is, oh my goodness, we have to put our life on hold right. to do this well. And if we just do it, well enough this month then we'll get pregnant and then mm -hmm. we can plan our lives but the reality is it's a month-to-month -month journey mm -hmm. so how do you how do you how would you tell people to manage scheduling things like vacations and, and work trips and stuff mm -hmm. alongside really being intentional about trying to get pregnant because that's what you want to do mm -hmm. um I don't know if I have super direct advice just because I feel like that's a family to family thing to decide. But that's advice right, right there. See that's, what I mean? That's you. It's you. But I think what we did is we um, we would sit down and talk about it. Gosh, we have a chance to go on vacation, but it's right during the time where we would be doing this particular doctor appointment or procedure. And um, it would mean having to take a break for one month or for two months. And are we going to do this? And we would just decide time by time and sometimes trying to have um trying to get pregnant was more important 
and sometimes it wasn't. And um, we knew that even though we would miss that chance, you know, of that, that month or that two months, that a break for my body actually might be a good thing too. And I remember that. I remember those conversations um, that sometimes you would say, I just, I need to put this down for a month or two. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I would be the one that would be super upset about that. Like, let's, let's keep going. I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. that's my tendency kind of, you know, to keep pushing. (laughs) But, but I remember sometimes it was me too. And just Mm -hmm. saying, I just, I have to not, I have to have a month or two because when you're in it for seven years, you, you, I mean, it's, it's just so hard to keep going. Mm. Um, and just all, so I think it's okay. I would just jump in with my own mm-hmm. thoughts. I think it's okay to talk about it and get on the same page. Right. Mm-hmm. But as a couple to say, we're just, we're not gonna, we're not gonna try these mm-hmm. next two months, but also to be careful not to say like, but that's a way of trying. We're not going to try. Yeah. But that's what we're going to try. That's <laughs> what's going to happen. So, you know, like, no, seriously, like whatever it takes to kind of get off the, the mental grid lock of honestly mm-hmm. really trying and charting and all that stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. When it came time to really getting uh, for really far down the line, you, and we wrote a blog post on this mm-hmm. that I will post on the show notes. It's about infertility. I also wrote about it in the book, but you mentioned feeling invaded. Oh yeah. Needles, questions, can you talk more about what you meant by that? What you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of needles and a lot of probe probing things. <laughs> <laughs> a oh, lot of ultrasounds in places we won't gotta, mention. <laughs> you gotta laugh about it, or else you cry your eyes out, right? Sorry, everybody. Oh, and then the and then what was in those needles was hormones, yeah. you know, and so <clears throat> giving myself shots and you giving me shots and doctors yep. giving me shots and, um, yeah, I mean that like it it's going past that natural boundary of the skin over and over and over day after day, and what's going in are hormones that might cause pregnancy or might not, and will make me crazy, you know, and so it was like having to let in. Um, what might help, but I knew would in some ways also hurt, you know. I remember times feeling my body actually felt pregnant because of the hormones, and but knowing that I wasn't pregnant, you know. Um, yeah, it, it's, a, it's an invasive process, you know. It's it really very is. Invasive. It's hard to even put more words to it. I think invasive is really, I mean, that's a powerful word for what, what the process is like. I remember, I don't know if this goes with invasive. Actually, it does because it's popping up in my mind. I remember my parents staying with yes, us. Yes, I was just in thinking Detroit about that two minutes During ago. the time where we had to try. Yes, our little in house. Our, in our little house. Our creaky were, bed. They were right across the hall. They were. <laughs> Sorry, Jim and Sorry, Pat. Sorry, Mom and Dad. I don't know if you listen to the podcast, but <laughs> I remember that. Yes. I remember uh... I remember them being in the bathroom about 10 feet away and our door was closed, but we had to do it. (laughs) Oh my Lord. That was awful. Oh, it really was. I'm surprised it even happened. I know. Uh, I love that you shared that story because that's exactly the kind of thing that happens time after time after After time. time. It's just that kind of stuff. So talk about the cycle of hope and despair. Um, And particularly... Mm. Do you get your hopes up that you might get pregnant? Do you keep your hopes level because you know you're going to get disappointed probably, so might as well not get Mm -hmm. your hopes up? How do you deal with all that stuff? I think this is where I want to go back to you feel what you feel. Yes. Some months you feel apathetic for real. Yep. You're hoping you don't get pregnant. I know that sounds weird, but there are some months where you are, right? Right. Oh, for sure. Well, or you're just like you're emotionally tired. Like that's kind of, you had a little burnout, you know? So the emotions aren't, of hoping just don't come, you know? It's almost like you're having, you're having despair. Um, and then some months you hope. And I think on months where we hoped, we would try and stop ourselves from hoping sometimes, you know? We just thought, oh, don't do it. It's going to hurt too much. When it doesn't happen, we're going to crash down. And I, I remember at one point we just decided... We were going to let ourselves hope when we felt hope and 
when we crash back down, if that happened, then we were going to pick ourselves up and learn resilience and move on. Yeah, I remember that too. And it's really hard. What I would, what, what I would want to say about that, I think, is that most of us are pretending to not get our hopes up, if we're, even if we're saying we aren't going mean, to. So there's this like mental, emotional gymnastics you have to go through in order to really do that. And it actually takes more energy, I think, to, to mm-hmm. not get our hopes up and to pretend that I'm not that disappointed. Because at the end of the day, when I heard the crinkling wrapper of the tampon, I'm sorry to be mm-hmm. so, but when I heard the crinkling wrapper of, of the tampon signaling that your period had come, signaling right. we weren't pregnant another time, there was nothing that stopped me feeling disappointed. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. the, you just mm-hmm. feel, so you might as well feel it as big as it is. Right. And you oh. might as well get hope up as big as it is. I remember those walk down walks down the stairs to tell you. Oh, I'm I'd be not, so I'm upset. Pregnant. And then you ended up feeling defective about that. What's wrong with me? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was just talking to my friend Matt, and he said, in a different context, not talking about infertility, but his wife, Heather, said this thing. She said, um, I don't want to get my hopes up because if it doesn't happen, I'll look foolish. Yeah. And I just thought, Oh my goodness. Wow, that's amazing. She nailed it. Yeah. Um, and I thanked Matt for telling me that. Um, so, and I think, gosh, easier said than done, but feel your feelings, get your hopes up, cry your eyes out, just do all those things and have safe people you can do that with. Mm-hmm. And don't do it with people that aren't safe. And don't let there be a really, really big circle of people that you're talking to about this stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, that's that's personality-based, too. Maybe some people like that. But we found mm-hmm. that we just had a few people that we would really mm-hmm. talk to about. And it was just too stressful to right. talk to everybody about mm-hmm. how we were feeling. Right. Took too much energy. So, You know, um, it, it occurs to me that um, so talk to safe people. What if the spouse you're trying with does not feel safe? Um, yeah. Okay, go there. Oh, I was hoping you would go there. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, yeah. You, you know, go there, I'll, and then I'll, I'll take I'll for on. sure go there. Well, this is very, um, very hard. Um, I would say, luckily, we that's not that was not our experience. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not speaking from experience, but I am, I am a pastor, so I've talked to lots and lots of people who are dealing with that. And I would say two or three things. One in a calm, kind way, if you can express to your spouse what you need during this time. Mm-hmm. Whether you're yep. the male or the male female. Male or the female. Honestly, you might be the male sitting here. We're not just talking about the female, the husband, the whatever. But if you can find what you need and in the shortest, truest way, ask for what you need from your spouse, mm-hmm. knowing that your spouse is not going to be able to respond perfectly to everything during this time, um, but so that's number one. Number two, um, this goes for any marital things, but your spouse can't just cannot handle all of your hmm. needs, hmm. cannot handle hmm. all of your emotions. Honestly, we, we, we pretend, we act like our spouse should be able to just be the one person that could handle all of your stuff at all the time. And this, we just, that's hmm. not, not true. Okay. That you need um, an, another person or two in your life uh, that can listen to you mm-hmm. and that you can, you know, like no one wants to like, oh my gosh, my husband's the worst. My, my, we're not talking about that. My wife's the worst. We are talking about, I feel lonely in this process and mm-hmm. I'm not sure what to do about that. So talk to someone that really does help. And, um, lastly, give yourself a little room to realize that you have some expectations of your spouse sometimes in this process mm-hmm. that really aren't realistic. Right. And there are some things that you 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 probably need to mm-hmm. let go in terms of how they're going to respond, how they're going to react to your own journey. Hmm. Okay, I have a few things too. One is it's not abnormal to not be on the same page. Right. About this, about what you want. Um, and if you keep knocking up against this, and we're not on the same page thing, that's a great time to talk to a therapist and have someone help you yeah. work that out. Um, two, this is hard on marriages. Infertility is very hard. Your spouse needs lots of grace from you. Um, if you're the spouse that's on hormones, oh my goodness, you're not at your best. 
And um, I mean, do you need grace? Big time. And um, everyone brings so much to the stage, their expectations of what their life would be like and what they might be giving up and um, what you are giving up because of doing this process and money's involved. And I mean, there just is so much that could drive you apart and so much that needs grace. And um, I just wonder, is it possible? Um, is it possible to choose to move towards each other and have, no matter what the outcome is, as far as children, have this be something that drives you together where you cling to each other? Yeah. I love that. Um, I, you, when you said that, something popped into my mind about, I heard this couple talking about marriages that, are, that do their work. So do your work. And that's so important. <laughs> but, but their point was, but also play. Mm. Laugh. Play, play life together. Mm. You know, play Yahtzee together. Um, watch a dumb Will Ferrell movie together if that's your mojo. That's not mm. really our, our mojo. Mm. It's more my mojo, not your mojo. Waiting for Guffman. Waiting for Guffman. Um, but, but like, don't just work on your marriage. Like, Try to create some moments where there mm -hmm. might be some laughter. Yeah. It's really oh, important, right? I'm so glad you said that. All right. So can we talk about the stress? Uh, how did yes. you manage it during infertility? And mm -hmm. uh, what else helped you during infertility? But talk about stress first. Okay. You know, I found a, a book that really helped me, actually, with the stress. It was called Healing Mind, Healthy Woman. Okay. I'm going to put that on the show notes. Um, and it talked about the mind-body connection and a lot about fertility and then also other, um, I think other chronic diseases or um, other women's health issues uh, were in that as well. And uh, there was this graph in there that showed, um, it compared the stress level of certain things. And I remember that the stress level of cancer and the stress level of infertility were the same. Good Lord. And... Um, Something about seeing that graph and then reading this book that had some tools about how to do self-care in it um, really helped me take seriously uh, what a big deal this experience is, um, how valid the grief is, how uh, massive the stress is. Um, and so I really did start to become quite a bit more serious about um for me now, these things are these things are self care for me, and they they maybe wouldn't be for everyone. But uh, about silence, meditation, prayer, exercise that was a little gentler, um, not because that gets you pregnant, because I know there's all this stuff about you know <laughs> if you exercise too hard, then you might not get pregnant. But just about being gentle to myself and kind to myself because. I was having to carry so much stress. And that's, I mean, we carry that in our bodies. And so I wanted to do something gentle for my body. I love that. The word gentle just seems like such an important piece of advice. And I think our culture, and I'm going to say especially women in the culture of Pinterest and Facebook and Instagram, where just the perfection and expectations are so sky high. Being gentle with yourself means you can't do everything. You can't say yes to everything you want to say yes to. You certainly can't say yes to that stressful thing that keeps coming back over and over again. If, if a certain relationship, it feels stressful every single time that you're mm -hmm. with that person and they're, you're on a play date with them, not to be mm -hmm. super pejorative, but you have to, being gentle with yourself means you're not going to go on that play date anymore with that person because all she does is sit there and complain about her husband. <laughs> and so you're just <laughs> not, you can't handle that stress. Mm -hmm. So um, being gentle with yourself means a lot of things. Like mm -hmm. I want people to just tattoo gentle on their on their wrist Ooh. to put gentle. And then put permission on the other yeah, wrist. permission, right. I love that. So some people are going to do that. <laughs> okay, anything else uh, help? So, yes, yeah, yes, help you yes, around yes. That? So um, there actually was another book that was really helpful during that time. I found that sometimes the ache in my soul was so great I had no words for prayer. Um, and so I found a book that um, of prayers called All Will Be Well um, by Lynn Klug. And... Um, Maybe this is a prayer book for you. Maybe there would be a, a different one that would be for you. But the um, the idea is that the, I was given words to ask for healing and to ask for wholeness and to ask for hope that um, 
that helped, it helped me to not have to work so hard to come up with the words, but um, to have the words given to me to just read those, read those words aloud to God. So that was helpful. And then another thing that was helpful um, was, uh, this actually came from another book. You're going to have lengthy show notes, but Love it. I found this book called Tears of Sorrow, Seeds of Hope, A Jewish Spiritual Companion for Infertility and Pregnancy Loss. And, um, oh, it's just a beautiful book. Not being Jewish, there were some rituals in, in here that I didn't quite know how to access, but um, it's full of scriptures and prayers and rituals for, I mean, all the different um, stages before going to the doctor, after going to the doctor, before trying to get pregnant, pregnancy loss, um, full of just beautiful prayers and words. And it was really helpful, but there was an idea in there that I particularly wanted to highlight. And it was the idea of the red stone. Um, and there was a lot that went with the red stone that they explained that I won't go into, but um, the main idea that really um, helped me was that sometimes you need something tangible to hold that is an expression of your hope and your fear and your prayer. Um, and so um, there is a tradition around the red stone. And uh, it, began to, it became something that a woman could hold or put around her neck. Um, and uh, it, it's red, so, and it's a stone, so it sort of symbolizes the womb you know, um, and then, oh, so let me just read this one thing, um, that was so cool, so, um, the color of the stone evokes the womb and the red, red waters that nourish it, through sound association, it conjures up Im images of a child, um, and then it said, Ruby is also the stone in the breastplate of the high priest that represents the tribe of Reuben, whose name itself offers hope because it means, look, a child. Wow. Isn't that amazing? So, and then it says, many women find comfort in these tangible expressions of their hopes and fears. The physicality of the stone allows them to touch what does not yet exist and to cradle in their palms the hope of their dreams. And then later, here's part of a prayer. As I place the stone upon my heart, God, may you place my prayers upon your heart. Oh, that is that so beautiful. beautiful. So, I love... Yeah, I found a red stone. You did? I, I did. never knew that. Yeah. Huh. In, um, on Iona, I found a red stone. Mm, that's and so I good. carried it around. Mm -hmm. So that was really helpful to me. That is beautiful. So just a couple other questions, though we could talk forever, and maybe we need to have a part two at some point. Um, do you want to talk about ambivalence, the ambivalence oh, that you felt I during do. that time? Yeah. Um, so this is not everyone's experience, but I actually felt quite a lot of ambivalence over the years of trying to get pregnant. Um, and I think for me it was because I, I saw what a joy being a parent would be, but I also saw how much I would lose in becoming a parent. Um, and so when, um, when you go through the process of trying to get pregnant and failing and, um, all the doctor appointments, it's like everything escalates. And so when, once this doesn't work, then you have to up the ante either with, you know, whatever it is you're trying, you're changing your diet now, or you're, now you're going to try a more invasive procedure or, um, whatever at every juncture at which we had to decide are we going to try this next thing um it put a spotlight on do i want this bad enough do i want this bad enough to do that and so then all of my doubts would come up am i a person who really is supposed to be a mother anyway am i forcing something that maybe god doesn't want for me um, maybe it wasn't made for this um and so my, my doubts, my self-doubt would come up when it was time to decide again to move further. And then my sense of unfairness and injustice about that would come up too. Why is it that other people can just have sex, have a romantic night, and get a kid, um, and I have to decide over and over again, do I really want this? Do I want it this bad? Do I want it bad enough to... Yeah, take have, one more step. Take there, one yeah. more step. Yeah, and so for me, I did. I felt ambivalent. I went back and forth. And sometimes I just wanted the ag the agony of waiting to stop so I could decide what to do with my life. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. 
Well, I think that's well said. I think it's one of the things women could feel shame about. Yeah, I did. I felt shame about that. That you feel like sometimes you don't even know if you want this baby that you really do want, but you Mm -hmm. sometimes don't. And I think there's a lot, there's just a whole lot of defectiveness that seeps in almost at a unconscious Mm -hmm. level. Uh, And you don't even want to let yourself give voice to some of those Mm -hmm. thoughts. Um, But if you go through infertility for a number of years, you're right. It's, will I take this next step? And there's just about a million of those things, Mm -hmm. decisions that you make. Mm -hmm. And what what will I do? And it'll cost this much. And is that okay? And then um, you you start to ask theological questions about certain things if you you come from a certain perspective. And you get more and more tired. And then you begin to wonder, will I really actually have the energy to do this? Because it's not like if you hope for a baby, you're blind. You can see that people who are parents are taxed and tired right and so you and you're and you're like i'm going into this as a deficit if this happens (laughs) (laughs) totally okay so last question what well this whole podcast answers this question Mm -hmm. but is there anything else you want to say to women and men right now who are going through infertility right now yeah i do um so Okay, I want to say this sensitively because um, I hope it's been really clear that I believe that the grief of this is very valid and that we can't feel or believe what we don't feel or believe right now. So um, take what I'm about to say like you're on a ship and you just see the very distant shadow of land. And this is land. And what I want to say is there are a lot of ways to have a good life. There are a lot of ways to have a fertile life. And you may or may not have a child, but you can have a good, fertile, abundant life that is full of purpose, meaning, and love. Um, And so just let that shimmer around the edges. If it's offensive right now, you're not ready to hear it, and that's fine, but... um, you can, there are a lot of ways to have a good life. I, um, so I wanted to read something, actually. Um, I wrote this before one of the procedures that we had done. I was in the waiting room. Um, and it was a, just a journal, a prayer. And I wrote, um, God, you know what I mean when I say I want to go into today with the doors of my heart wide open banging on their hinges open, no gripping or grasping or controlling open. And you know what I mean when I ask you to make the space in my heart bigger. You have made it bigger, more spacious, but do it more. Widen me and open me and empty me and free me more. So there is more room for you and for the life you want me to hold and live. I need more room for love, for the maps of those I love, more space to breathe in and be in. It is no longer about full versus empty, as in abundance versus scarcity. Now I know it is about my heart being a spacious place so that I can receive and embrace all that you have for me. You know what I mean, God, when I say, I have been the barren woman. I know what it is to have infertility of mind and body and spirit. And truly you have shown me things in the desert. And I'm willing to have you teach me more things in the desert. But I don't want to look back on my life and see a desert. I want to see something alive. I want to see a lush garden. I want to know what it is to be a life bringer. I want to know what it is to have life come through me. I want to know what it is to mother. And I remember that procedure was one in which I had some... um, uh, what's it called when they put you to sleep? A starts with an A. Anesthesia. Anesthesia, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, as I, before I was conscious, but you were there, you were walking by me. Um, you told me that I said to you, I was in a garden. I was in a garden. And um, I always took that to mean that God brought me to that to a garden when I was in a completely vulnerable and unconscious place. And that um, that's what God does. You may not have the energy to pray, to believe, to hope that there's a God um, as you struggle through this. But even just in your unconscious, 
most vulnerable place that you might not even have total access to, God can bring you to a garden. Mm. God can answer your longings and take care of you in a tender way. That is just beautiful. And I love that picture. May God plant you in a garden during this time, no matter where you are at, no matter how much pain it is. And may that bring you some comfort Hmm. that God can do that. So thank you. Thank you, babe. That was beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, Thanks for having me. Oh, you were so great. People Mm -hmm. are going to freak out. (laughs) I really do hope that if you are going through infertility, this was helpful. Um, If you have a friend that is going through infertility, please um, use this as a way to be be a good friend, be a loving friend. We certainly and be a forgiving friend. Be a forgiving friend. <laughs> yes, those of us that go through infertility actually do need quite a bit of grace. We do, and we don't always know that, but we do. And so, um, thank you, honey. That was gorgeous. Please share this with people that you think might be helped by it. Um, and so, I'm going to end by um, telling you, as I always do, what's blowing my mind lately, uh, and it's this little book that is several decades old, by Abraham Joshua Heschel. It is called Sabbath. And it is remarkable that this man, who has English as a second language, can write prose with such poetry. I am. I told you a little, two weeks ago in the podcast that I'm in the season where I'm really having to do some new disciplines. I'm being expanded. One of those things is learning how to put things down, learning how to stop learning how to not be so defined by what I produce. Therefore, Abraham Joshua Heschel, Sabbath, whew, so it's one of the masterpieces, uh, but it is blowing my mind. I'll put, the, I'll put that on the show notes as well. Lots of books on the show notes this week, so please visit it, steveweens.com. Click on blog, and you'll find it. Episode 16, Beginnings, Day 4, Seasons. Uh, Next week, we're going to look at monsters. That's chapter five in my book, day five. We're going to look at what it takes to face the monsters that want to take you down. Uh, And we're going to talk about how to do that well. And uh, so please tune in for that. Uh, Again, uh, if you want to pre-order the book, Beginnings, the first seven days of the rest of your life, you can do that by visiting my show notes. You can get the audio book. You can get the Kindle version. You can get the paperback. It is out January 1st, so it's really coming up. And uh, if you like it, if you've read the uh, first two chapters, which are free, man, spread the word. Uh, You can help me out by doing that. And, oh, the giveaway. Yes, I am just reminding you that I am giving away another book this week. So please email me, steve, at steveweens.com. And could be a really serious reason why you need it now. Could be a really funny one, but do it. And I will sign it and I will mail it to you, and that will be my great joy to do that. Okay, gang, the mantra, we are dust and breath. We are human and holy. We are limited and limitless, and we are in it together. Grace and peace, my brothers and sisters. We will see you next week.